If your Bibles aren't open to that passage, I want to encourage you to open them. Genesis 22. How are we doing this morning? You guys surviving? Do you need some coffee? There's some back there. Somebody needs to kill it, or we're going to dump it later. Well, uh, I'm Dave, uh, one of the pastors here, and excited to be before you. We're in the middle of a series um, that, as I said last week, for some of you, is just uh, good information for you to take back to the people who this really applies to, because a lot of us, you know, we have this obedience thing down pretty, pretty good. Um, it's not that difficult, right? And so for those that we know that obedience is hard, then we'll, 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 have, we'll have a good word for you to pass on to them. Anyway, um, growing up, there was somewhat of a disconnect between, well, let me back up. There comes a point in our lives when a person at some age has to come out from their parents, come out from the faith that their parents kind of pushed on them, and either grab a hold of it or not. Um, And I remember in the past couple years this becoming real in my life. Um, And I'd say overall I was taught really well. I've always been in church. I was taught really well growing up. Um, and had great leaders in my life and great authority in my life and was always drawn back to the scriptures. And, and so I came to this place in my life where what I felt like I knew Christianity to be and what I felt like I was taught Christianity to be, all of a sudden it didn't seem to match up. And so the, the, the different things that, that I knew all my life growing up and then coming to the place of like, trying to see through those lenses, because any belief system you have should inform everything that you do in your life. It shouldn't just be this side deal over here. It should inform everything you you do in life. And so I began trying to see through these lenses, and I was was kind of caught off guard because it didn't quite work. I saw breakdowns and flaws in how I believed Christianity should function. And here's kind of, and living in America didn't help, because here's kind of what happened. I was always under this assumption that as a Christian, there really shouldn't be much pain in life, there really shouldn't be much suffering, and that obedience ultimately should be somewhat easy. And then I got in active places where I had to walk certain things out, and I was like, whoa, wait a second, this isn't like I thought it would be. And so I I began to experience different pain and different trials and different temptations and different things in my life. And all of a sudden, obedience became what seemed to be impossible. And living in America, that's a lot of what, how Christianity is, is pushed to us. Is that it's easy, is that obedience really isn't that big of a deal. And you, you know, you, you've heard it, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. And, and you know, you won't really suffer. It's the, it's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that's nowhere in the scripture. And so I began to wrestle with these things and I want to wrestle a little bit more with these things for us because I'll tell you this morning that Christian, you are not outside of pain. And and you're well aware of that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But just because we're Christians doesn't mean that pain and difficulty isn't real in our lives. But it's that we have a hope that an unbeliever would not have. Um, We're in Genesis chapter 22. 
uh, we come to the mo- one of the most insane commands that we see anywhere in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 22, uh, let's start at verse 1. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. Uh, I don't know to what extent you've ever been tested. I don't know what extent you've experienced a situation in your life. Now I'm not talking about like, you know, your, your middle school exams. And how we all failed those and then realized, oh wait, this is a real deal. And then it was too late. And, um, but I'm talking about like moments in our lives when circumstances come that really show who we are. Okay, because right now, y'all look great. Some of you are eating some food. Some of you got your Bible open. Some of you are drinking some coffee. You're all dressed up real nice. Um, but there's no testing right here. The reality of who we are and what God wants to expose in our lives and show us that he wants to deal with comes when pressure in our lives happens and we're seen for who we are. But, but not, not in a defeating way because what, what we don't want to do is just wallow in our, dang it, this is who I am. But what we want to do is allow God to redeem the truth of, of who we are or what he's doing in us and take that to the step of allowing him to perfect us in him, okay? And we know as we, as we sit here in this moment that if you're a child of God, you are absolutely accepted based on the cross of Christ. And so there's tension there that we have to know. So keep going. He tests Abraham and he says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Okay, so th- this is just insane. Um, I, I don't fully know what Abraham was thinking in this moment, um, apart from going back. Okay, we can't understand this passage unless we grasp the full context of what's happened so far in redemptive history and so far in Abraham's life. So we're going to go back and we're going to cover real quickly about 10 chapters. Um, so I want to look, uh, I'm not, you don't have to go there, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Um, but in order to grasp, wh- why in the world would God call Abraham to sacrifice his son? We have to go back to Genesis 12. So what happens in Genesis 12? In Genesis chapter 12, you have this, this instance where God comes to Abraham and he says, Hey, uh, I want you to take your family and I want you to pack them up and I want you to head south. <laughs> and... I'm not going to really tell you where you're going. You're just going to go that way. And what's crazy is he does it. He packs up everything and he goes. And he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know when he's finding out where he's going. But, but he goes. And so we see this God's, God's call on Abraham's life. And then, I don't know if you've had times in your life when God calls you to something and you don't really know why. You're not really sure why he's called you to what he's called you to. And so... In those moments, you can question and you can do these different things. Um, and God doesn't require to tell us why. Um, but in chapter 15, we begin to get some clarity on why did he tell Abraham to just get up and go? Um, we see in chapter 15 that God makes this covenant promise with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to do unbelievable things in the history of the world through your family. Through your family. And so... He says, uh, I'm going to, your descendants are going to be as numerous as, what is it? The stars in the sky, as the sand at the seas, okay? 
the only problem was um, that in this moment, Abraham's like, what? I don't, I don't even have a son. Have you ever been at this place where God calls you to something and you feel like you need to remind God of something? Like, okay, God, um, just in case you didn't realize this, I don't have a kid. So my descendants being great, that's going to be a problem. Not only do I, do I not have a kid, because that's not an easy fix, but my wife can't bear a child. So it's not like we can, you know, fix this deal right away. It's like, my wife can't bear a child. I need to remind you of that. I don't know if you've ever, had, if you've ever been in this place. I shared last week the insanity sometimes of obedience, of what God calls you to, that sometimes it doesn't make sense. That God called me to quit a good job I had and go and help plant a church and ask people to support me financially in the midst of the worst economic times. And I'm like, uh, in the midst of that, I'm like, hey, God, um, the economy's really bad. And he's like, I didn't think it, no. He didn't do that, okay? Uh, he was fully aware of that. He absolutely knew the circumstances that were happening. And here in this situation, he tells Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. And he makes this promise to Abraham. And then in chapter 16, what, off, what we so often do is Abraham and Sarah, they decide to expedite the promise. They decide to take matters into their own hands. And they're like, we don't have a kid. Um, we got an idea. Abram, you, you go and you take, you know, the servant girl and, you know, you guys can have a kid. And then we'll, we can, you know, help God out in this situation. Don't act like you don't do that. Don't act like you don't take these. You know, we, we do. We're just so quickly to be like, I, I'm going to handle this myself. And then it just we, it becomes this big mess, which we see in the scriptures that we see in history. Ishmael is born, and God comes to them later and is like, no, 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 no. You're missing this whole deal. This is not what I had planned. And then in, in the next chapter, he says, uh, I'm going to give you a son named Isaac. And what I love about cha- the, the section between chapter 17 and 18 is God, God comes to them and he tells them this and they literally laugh. You remember that part in the passage? They literally laugh out loud like, God, you've got to be kidding me. And then they probably go through the whole spiel of like, okay, remember, da, 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 you know, you know, you don't think you realize this. They go through that whole situation, but they literally laugh, which is funny as Isaac's name means he laughs. Okay. They, they literally laugh at God. And then I absolutely love what we see in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. And my prayer is that it would be the motto for your life. As it says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? God tells that to Abraham. And I don't have any proof of this, what I'm about to say. But I firmly believe that in that moment, Abraham was cut to the heart when God spoke those words to him and he said is anything too difficult for me and I fully believe that that informed the rest of who he was and what he did in seeking to walk because we know the story of, of what he did with sacrificing Isaac you know what I'm we're about ready to walk through but but how in the world would he get to that place and my prayer even this morning is that this would be our motto that the things that God calls us to that will cost you your life are the very things that God wants to come alongside us and engage us actively in the call to obedience and actually enable us to walk them out. And he's not just up in heaven like, go do that and good luck. There's some tough people at that job. 
He's like, I'm going to do it in you, and I'm going to do it through you. The problem is, is you try to just take it yourself, and you try to do it on your own, and you don't let me do it. And then in chapter 21, you see Isaac is born. And in chapter 22, God calls him to sacrifice him. God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, think about this for a second. I feel like I'm Howie Mandel. <laughs> Think about this. I have no clue what that noise is. It's never happened before. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is no banker, and this isn't the Howie I'm not Howie Mandel. My head isn't shaved. If Rick was up here, you could have had some fun with that. Um, sorry. Can I say that? Okay, just check it. Just check it. Okay, now that we're completely distracted. So, think about all that we just went through. Why, why, would, why would God come to Abraham and say, I want you to sacrifice Isaac? Here's what I firmly believe. That in this moment, think about the miracle that God did in bringing Isaac into the world. And thinking about the, think about the temptation for, for Isaac to become such a prized possession. That, that, that Abraham would grab so tightly to Isaac and see Isaac as like the savior. See him as like, the problem was we didn't have a son. Now we have a son and this son is our savior. I remember several years ago, um, Danielle and I had some incredibly financial stress, incredible financial stress that we had no clue how we were going to, um, how we were going to handle. And there was, in the span of one week, God had anonymously provided $950. To this day, we have no clue who it came from. It could have come from some of you, for all I know. Okay? And at our back door, 500 bucks one day. In our mailbox, 450 bucks another day. No clue where it came from. And I remember those moments when we found that. And, and the, the temptation for that to be seen as we were so utterly pressed. And we needed this money. And now this money has saved us. Do you, do you see that? Rather than seeing that as a provision from our Savior, we see that as our Savior. And I think the same exact thing is happening with Abraham and Isaac. Here's this dilemma. I don't have a son. How am I going to have descendants as great as the stars in the sky? A son comes. Now that son is seen as everything. And, and here's, here's the deal. The, the things that God calls you to will oftentimes hit at the core idols of your heart. And expose them. They will. That's why obedience is hard. Because God walks us through situations that expose aspects of who we are that He wants to redeem and He wants to, to, to save us out of. And that's what He's doing with Abraham. He's exposing those that Isaac is an idol. And you need to destroy that idol. But at the same time, note this, disobedience stems from a failure to trust God and an unwillingness to give up your idols. So to the extent that we decide, okay, God, I'm not going to do this, and we walk in disobedience, here's what we're saying, God, I don't trust you, and I love my comfort, my money, good job, my freedom from pain. I love my comfort more than I love you. And those idols dethrone God and become the affection of our worship. 
And God wanted to deal with that in Abraham's life. Uh, Friday, I got a package in the mail. Um, came second day air from a, a buddy that I grew up with that I, I literally haven't seen in 15 years. Sent me a message on Facebook, said, I need your address. Okay, here. I was like, he's getting married or something. Sweet, I get to see him. I get a package in the mail. Danielle calls me. She's like, hey, Joel sent you a package. Um, you want me to open it? I'm like, heck yeah, open that thing. What's in there? I had no clue what was in there. So I open it up, and inside is, is a bag. Just a, just a little backpack. You can tell this you know, was just purchased the other day. Um, and inside it's a note. So I open up the note, and it says... Uh, Dave, found this in my parents' basement along with a whole wad of cash. Your cut is in the backpack. Remember when we buried all that cash in my side yard in an old coffee can? I found it. So I'm like, thinking back, like, I think I remember that. And so um, I, I opened it up, and it's literally full of cash. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Congratulations for coming to North Church today. You, you get a thousand dollars. That's great. Um, I'm going on a sabbatical for several months, and we're gonna um, go on a cruise. And uh, no. Um, But I thought, I thought back to Mike. I was probably like 10 when we did that thing, when we buried And I literally remember, I could take you to the exact spot that it happened, okay? But I thought about that moment. And, and, I, and I thought about what a picture of, of, of how we handle idols. That, that we take things that we greatly love and we just will hide them away to the point where no one will find them. And we think that even God won't find it. Okay? And so take this, this simple illustration of this money that as a kid I buried, this fake money that as a kid I buried in the ground as the thought of like, we're going to have this forever. And it's the same thing with, with Abraham. He's like, you're holding too tightly to your son. As if to say you're burying him in the ground and saying, I can't have him. And God's like, in order for great and mighty things to happen in and through you, you've got to let him go. You've got to give him up. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to a place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Did you notice the beginning of verse 3? Okay, if God gave you this type of instruction, what would you do? Not what Abraham did at the beginning of verse 3. What did he do? So Abraham rose early in the morning. No, I would forget to set my alarm. I would sleep in and you know, blame it on Panasonic for putting out a crappy product that didn't wake me up. Okay, and, and blame it and you know, pass the blame. What is, what is Abraham doing? He's like, he gets up early in the morning 
And he begins this three-day journey with two of his servants and his son to go and walk in obedience to the Lord. Why? I think that's an unbelievable picture of immediate obedience. Okay, God. You know, we, we try to push things off and push things off and push things off, and God's still calling us to it. And God's still calling us to it. And by the time we actually get to it, there's a whole lot of other mess to sort through because we weren't obedient in the first place. Because disobedience always brings consequences. Always. And then look at verse 5. He's, here, here's what he says to his servants. They come to the mountain after a three-day journey. You can only imagine what happened in those three days. They come to the mountain, and he says to his servants, Stay here. Stay here at the base of the mountain. Isaac and I are going up the mountain. And I don't know what version you have, and if you have the ESV, it might not quite come through. But he literally says, and we will come back. We're going up the mountain, and we're coming back. He doesn't say, and I'm going to come back, because my son's going to be dead. He says, we are coming back. The two of us are coming back. Why? Why, why would he say that? Because he was so convinced. Like, I don't know if you've ever been so convinced of something that you, you just lived for that. Like, I remember times in my life, I literally thought I was, like, one of the best athletes in the world, okay? And then um, I woke up, and uh, it became reality that I was one of the, um, did I say worst? Best. I don't know what I said. Anyway, um, what's the deal here? What is he saying? In Romans chapter 4, this verse has been my motto for the past year. It says this. No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. No, no distrust. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. What did he promise? That through this kid that he just called him to kill, he's going to do unbelievable things. But God, that doesn't make sense. If I kill him, now all of a sudden he won't be there for you to do amazing things through his line. How, how do we reconcile this? Well, you can't hear. Hebrews even goes on to say that he even believed that God would raise him from the dead. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, my thought is, God, I'm not fully convinced. Get me there. There's times I'm not fully convinced of, of God's goodness. Get me there. Abraham was fully convinced Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Here's what I want you to see. Following Jesus will cost you your life. Let me say that again. Now, I know this isn't popular and this isn't helping us as a church to grow, and I'm not even concerned about that, okay? Following Jesus will cost you your life. 
And we've begun to think as an Americanized culture, uh, Americanized Christian culture, that following Jesus should be easy and that obedience should be easy and that the things that God calls us to should just be cake because Jesus is on our side. No. Yes, Jesus is on our side. But no, it's not easy. It will cost you your life. You know the paradox? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here's what blows me away. And I wrestled with this in my own head, so I'm not just like pointing the finger. But it's like, why in the world would I think that seeking to live and follow Jesus, that my life should be easier than his? Than the immense amount of suffering and difficulty that he experienced in his life, why should mine look different? And that's the same fact, that, that obedience is going to cost you your life. Think about it for Abraham. I don't, know what, I don't know what the conversation with Sarah was like here, or, or if it even happened. But it's like, hey, babe, the Lord told me um, I'm supposed to sacrifice Isaac. And, you know, Mike and Joe are going to come with us, and, and then we'll be back. And she's like, okay, I'm going to make some dinner. Think about the implications of obedience and how obedience directly affects the people around you. Directly affects your, your, your family. Disobedience directly affects your family. I don't care how personal your issues are. I don't care how personal your sin is. It affects the whole. As a child of God, it affects the body. I don't care how good you are hiding it. It will affect your family. The family of God. Not just you. And what's interesting here, commentators believe that Isaac was anywhere from 18 to 33. That he wasn't just this little boy that, that Abraham could have just, you know, put up on the altar real easy. He, he made him carry the wood up a hill. It says that he had to bind him. Okay? Now, the parallel, I want you to see the parallel. I don't want to focus so much on this. I want you to see the parallel between what's happening here and what it's pointing to. Okay, look at this passage on the screen in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Okay, this is talking about, this is a prophetic statement of Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Think Jesus, think Isaac. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears in silence, so he opened not his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. What is that a picture of? Well, it describes the picture of Abraham and Isaac in the same way that it describes the picture of God and his son making the ultimate sacrifice. It's the gospel. Seen in the early pages of the Old Testament. And God is revealing to us all that's intended in this story and what he's trying to teach us through this story. I don't know how many of you, uh, or actually look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing that that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So he goes to walk in obedience to the Lord in sacrificing his son. And what happens? The angel comes and says, stop. Stop. And I I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. Check this out. He says, God let the suffering old man go through with it up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat and forbade him to lay a hand upon the boy. To the wandering patriarch, he now says in effect, it's all right, Abraham. I never intended that you would actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct, correct the perversion that existed in your love. Wow. That's exactly what God was doing. He was trying to root this idol of his son out of his heart. One of the most dangerous things as parents is that our kids be, be our idols. And I'm still figuring this out. And Danielle and I talk regularly about how to find balance. Because what happens in so many, in so many families is that it, it becomes all about the kids. And we idolize and worship the kids. And then what, you know what happens? The kids leave. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, we're married. I forgot about that whole deal. And then it's like, hi, I'm Dave. Oh, Danielle, nice to meet you. I was focused on Mikhail and Tobe. Like we, and, and that's what happens. When we idolize things, it destroys God's intent. And here, in effect, that's, that's what he's saying to Abraham. I want to destroy this idol. I, I don't know what kind of things God's calling you to. Well, I kind of know some of them. But I don't know specifically some of the things that God's calling you to. But, but here's what I want you to hear this morning. Is that God wants to actively engage you in those things. Actively engage you. Check, check out, I, I've, I've said this quote before, I want to say it again. It's unbelievable. Ever since I heard it, I'll never forget it, from J.I. Packer. It says, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people. And will bring them both sorrow and joy to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. What is is the deal? God is saying, your obedience isn't fully about you. It's about me engaging you in that. And what I want you to do is I want you to get your hands off of all of the things that I've blessed you with And I want you to run to me. And I want you to find me in the midst of them. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And on it, or as it it is said this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Did you know that God provides even the means for your obedience? That your ability to obey or not obey really doesn't fully fall on you. I mean, some of you are like, sweet. Okay, hear the tension here. God actively engages you. Did we not look at Genesis 15 or 18 verse 14 that says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Okay, so if God's actively engaging us in this reality, what's happening? Check this out. 
This blew me away. When it says that the Lord will provide in Genesis 22, that word provide literally means to see. Okay, so check this out. Picture Abraham. Picture him in this moment deciding, I don't, I don't want to do what God said. I don't want to walk in obedience to sacrificing my son. Get this. He misses out on the blessing of seeing God and seeing God's provision. Because in that moment, when he he looks up and he sees the ram caught in the bushes, in that moment, you know what that ram shouts to Abraham? It's as if God is saying, I am who I say I am. And it's the promises of God seen so evident in that ram. I love what Colossians 1, 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I didn't get that growing up. Trying to grasp God's, God's provision for my obedience. That I struggle with his energy. So much of my life was built around, I can do this. I'm a competent, athletic, hard worker. I can do this. And God's like, uh, no you can't. And it became very evident why I hardly ever found victory in my life. It's because I fought for victory rather than fighting from victory. And I walked in so much defeat because I didn't struggle with his energy. I struggled with my own, which will always lead to failure. The passage that Amy read earlier in Psalm 34, I'm sure you've heard it before, taste and see that the Lord is good. That word see is the same word as to provide. And that's what God was doing for Abraham, letting him see his goodness in providing the means to his obedience. How in the world could Abraham see God's goodness in calling him to sacrifice his son and not just wallow in self-pity and wallow in, this is so hard, God, what you've called me to. It's because he believed in the goodness of God's provision. And then we see in verse 15 and following that, that God honors, God always honors obedience. And we see that what God had originally said would happen if he walked in obedience actually happens. And so I recognize this morning that some of you sit in, in incredibly tough situations. Incredibly tough situations. And some of them are the byproduct of choices, of personal choices. And that's, that's always true, that disobedience always brings consequences. But in the same light, obedience always brings blessing. And so the question isn't, what did I do yesterday? But the question is, is who is God today? And what is he calling me to today? And how am I surrendering to him and enabling him to work it through me. Fighting with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, you are faithful.
We are such a faithless people. And yet we realize in the midst of that your goodness and your love and your faithfulness to us. And so God, we we give you permission here in this moment. We give you permission to remove the idols from our heart. And we ask you, God, we invite you to come so close to us and hold us in the midst of our pain. Hold us in the midst of the difficult things you are calling us to. God, help us own up to the sin in our lives. And not push it away anymore, but to repent and turn to this great Jesus and see the gospel for what it is. God, the calling, the greatest calling ever to intimacy with our King. God, would you powerfully work this within us in Christ's name, amen.